0: You're invited to listen to Inside Schizophrenia, a new podcast brought to you by PsychCentral.com, home of the Psych Central Show. Enjoy. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia, a look into better understanding and living well with schizophrenia, hosted by renowned advocate and influencer Rachel Star Withers and featuring Gabe Howard. Listeners, could a
1: change in your schizophrenia treatment plan make a difference? There are options out there you might not know about. Visit oncemonthlydifference.com to find out more about the benefits of once monthly injections for adults with schizophrenia. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia. I am Rachel Starr with my wonderful co-host here, Gabe Howard. Everyone complains about work, going, uh, having to go to work every day, working too much, not getting paid enough. Working can be challenging for so many reasons, but we're going to explore working while having a serious mental health issue like schizophrenia. So I've done so many weird jobs, Gabe, like across the board. I was a wedding videographer for one day, one day and like halfway through the day after the third bride came in complaining about their work. I was like, I, I can't do this. And I literally got up and left and I was like, you don't have to pay me for today. I'm really sorry.
2: Do you feel that living with schizophrenia contributed to that? Because like you said, it's boring. You're sitting behind a monitor all day. And then there's confrontation. There's chaos. And then there's this whole, uh, you know, wedding industry that we know about. Was all of that too much pressure? Because we know that you're an accomplished video editor. There's no question about that. What about this made it too much?
1: I think that it was such an open atmosphere, like there, like you could see everybody and you were sitting there nine to five video editing with all these people around. If I could have like been sent the footage and done it at home, I probably would have been fine. But yeah, it was a lot and a lot of confrontation as far as people coming in and weddings are boring.
2: So what other jobs have you had? I mean, we know about Schizophrenic Stunt Girl, which we'll get to at the end, What are some other just normal, regular nine-to-five jobs for Rachel Starr?
1: Well, I haven't had many nine-to-five jobs, but of the ones I've had, one was I worked at a Christian furniture store in their marketing. And if you're not from the South, yes, that's the thing. We have a lot of Christian stores. Like, that's part of it. Like, it's in the uh, logo is a giant cross.
2: Wow. (laughs) Now, how long were you employed by the furniture store?
1: I was for there six months, which is like amazing for me to work a full-time job for six months. And that killed me. I was, oh gosh, I mean, I towards the end, I eventually just went to um one of the bosses like, I can't take this. I'm genuinely sorry. Because I always feel so bad, like quitting something. <laughs> I always apologize. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm sorry, this place is horrible, but I'm sorry I led you to believe I'd be a good worker and I cannot take it here.
2: Just to be clear, do you think that it was because of... Uh living with schizophrenia that made you not be able to take it? Or was there something else going on? Or is it is it this kind of gray area where maybe it was a little bit of both? Is that hard to tease out?
1: I would say it's absolutely a gray area. A major part was my schizophrenia. I have a very hard time doing the same thing day after day. I have a hard time doing the same thing for hours on end. About four hours and I'm out. Um, it's just hard for me to pay attention and that's not like, oh, what about a lunch break mixes it? Nope. If I'm stuck in the same place, it's too much for me. And especially when it's a situation of a desk. If I have to like literally stay in one place, oh, I, I just go crazy. So I can do it for about a few days and then I start getting weird and I, I go downhill quick. And I
2: understand why you're calling that a gray area, because for example, my father is a truck driver. My brother is an electrician. My brother-in-law is a police officer. And I point that out because none of them have schizophrenia and they all feel the exact same way that you do. They're like, put me at a desk and that's death. I don't want to do it. That is horrible for them. They they love doing stuff on their feet, working with their hands, moving around the city. I would hate all of those things. Like, I don't like to go outside. Now, I don't want to be chained to a desk either, but I don't want to do manual labor. So you learned that in your the beginning of your career, sitting behind a desk bad. So then you started to get into some more like creative jobs. What were your jobs after the Christian Furniture Store?
1: Oh, I've bounced all over. Um Personal training. I've been a personal trainer. I've worked in gyms. That's always been like a kind of a side job for me. Every gym in the area here of Charlotte, I've worked in all of them. Did you do better there? So I'm totally fine if it's a part-time job where I go, let's say, three times a week there. Totally fine. I'm good with it. But if I have to go like day after day, I I can't take it. Even doing the same activity day after day, it just, it wears on me and I, I get burnt out bizarrely quick.
2: And then you moved on from, from personal training. You did what what has really lasted the longest, right? The, the stunt woman, the modeling, the acting yes. instructor. So you found your niche. And the reason that I bring that up is not because you're really, really good at it, because you are really, really good at it, but because you went through a lot of different jobs to find the thing that worked. Now, being a stunt woman sounds really cool, but... <laughs> But from a job perspective, remove the cool and talk about the the day-to-day, the nuts and bolts. Why has this lasted in a way that personal trader at a gym or marketing at a furniture store or videographer didn't?
1: Uh, I started making stupid videos of myself after I got obsessed with Wild Boys, which was a spinoff of Jackass.
2: (laughs) Jackass is a show where people film themselves doing stupid stunts or or just doing stunts. I mean, we don't even have to put stupid in front of it. Just Mm -hmm. just ridiculousness.
1: Yes. Things you shouldn't do. (laughs) Things common sense would say, don't do that. (laughs) And you did
2: them. And for example, like laying on a bed of nails, like walking across Mm -hmm. glass. You know, you Mm -hmm. you've done some of these things uh, and you still do them to this day and you excel at them and people enjoy watching them and you've you've made a career out of it.
1: Yeah, my thing was, let's see what's possible and have fun. So it wasn't so much like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. You can do that. It was, I show everything. I show the complete fails. (laughs) That's usually what's funny is the fact that I'm trying something that is clearly not going to (laughs) work. But sometimes it does. And even I surprised myself. And you can probably tell like, by my voice, I'm more excited talking about that because it was something that was interesting to me. And I was very lucky that I put it on the internet and a TV show contacted me and I'd never realized, oh, I could make money at this because I was just being stupid. <laughs> um, and that was like 14 years ago. And it kind of evolved into me going to full on stunt school to try and actually be in movies for it and different things. And you know, as you do one thing, you learn others. And I learned about how to do all types of other entertainment, similar to this podcasting. And But here's
2: something that I want to touch on for a moment. You know, I, I first met you at an event and you talked about setting yourself on fire. And full disclosure, I met you as a woman living with schizophrenia. You talked about setting yourself on fire. And I immediately thought, okay, that's not good. That sounds very bad. Now, you went on to explain that, hey, look, there's a safety protocol. And I started thinking in my mind, like, wow, that there are a lot of safety protocols. Now, now again, as somebody who lives with bipolar disorder, I would like to think that I'm above creating stigma or believing stereotypes, but, but I'm not. I thought to myself, how does a woman living with schizophrenia set herself on fire and keep herself safe? Can you talk about that for a moment? Because if you don't follow all of these safety protocols, you could get very hurt.
1: I have been hurt a few times, but it had nothing to do with my schizophrenia. Um, yeah, no, it's funny because I started out doing crazy stunt videos and things. I didn't talk about my schizophrenia. I didn't open up publicly about it until years later. And... I've always been very careful to not combine the two. It's I've never made a video like, yo, I'm Rachel, I'm schizophrenic, let me go run my head into a wall. (laughs) (laughs) Like they're very, like I've always kept it separate because for me to safely do stunts and for one, for them to be entertaining, I have to be all mentally here. So I can't even film when I'm off. And when it comes to fire, I usually, I have a spotter and whatnot. And many times it's my father. (laughs) So uh, like nothing bad could happen from, let's say, me not being fully there. And you
2: recognize that and make make good decisions. The, the people around you are also empowered to say, hey, maybe today is not the day.
1: Yeah, I'm never really filming alone doing anything. There's always someone there just as backup around, even on like my little baby stunts. <laughs> so yeah, the bigger the stunt, the more people I actually have that have to help me with it.
2: I bring this up because a reasonable person hearing that somebody's job was stump person would think, okay, well, they have help. They have safety nets in place. They sometimes literally safety nets. But like you said, they're not just running around with a camera doing these dangerous things all by themselves. But in your situation, also living with schizophrenia, you've also built up a safety net around not being off to make sure that you are mentally able to complete the stunt and relying on the people around you and yourself to know what that is. So again, we get to the gray area, right? Yes. Because living with schizophrenia is not the only types of people that have to be perfectly well to do stunts.
1: <laughs> right.
2: So being in control of these things and making sure keeps you and everybody else safe.
1: Right. And just to stress, I have been trained. I have actually went to stunt school. And yeah, so it's not even just, oh, well, I'm mentally sane. I can totally set myself on fire. Let me watch this YouTube video on how to do it. Like, no, I've actually, I have went to like a school for it. And I'm constantly doing trainings and things to learn the correct way to do things. It's just like getting a job. You have to be trained to do it.
2: Speaking of boring nine-to-five jobs, we got to interview Michelle Hammer. Now, Michelle Hammer is the owner of Schizophrenic.NYC. It's a clothing line that empowers people with mental illness to be their best self.
1: I absolutely love Michelle, and she has done so much. Let's talk to her right now. We're here with our first guest, Michelle Hammer, who is an award-winning graphic designer and an entrepreneur with her website being schizophrenic.nyc. Michelle, might come as a shock, but you're a schizophrenic too, right? I, I believe so. I've been told that many, many times. Okay.
3: I hope so. So in your work career, you've actually worked for some pretty big design firms. What was that like? It can be very difficult because, you know, you work on your design and then it has to get approved by a million different people. And it's just annoying and it's frustrating, so... I like to just not do that anymore.
1: What have you found to be the biggest challenges working for other businesses? The biggest
3: challenge is just dealing with the hierarchy of other people telling me what to do all the time, especially when you're schizophrenic and you're trying really hard to pay attention on what you're doing. And then people just keep giving you direction. And it's just really confusing. Just cognitive skills aren't that great sometimes you know when you're schizophrenic and you just try to understand as much as you can and you try your best but sometimes it's just really hard working for other people
1: um as far as with the schizophrenia were you ever just kind of like unable to revise something it's not that i was
3: unable to revise things it was just frustrating a lot of times when you're just hearing voices in your head or you're just talking to delusions or hallucinations it's just They're a really big distraction sometimes. You don't really understand what people are really saying to you or you're not understanding the direction or the rules or there's so many things on your plate. It's hard to, you know, really understand like this, do this here, do this here, do this here, do this here, and just kind of try to problem solve your way through every single thing you have to do. It can be very, very challenging. So
1: you went from having what I would assume is some pretty coveted jobs for artists working for these firms to putting that aside and working for yourself. Yes. What was the biggest challenge in doing that switch? Because that's hard for anybody, but especially when you have like a mental disorder going on.
3: Yeah, so eventually I just I couldn't work for anybody else anymore. I it just wasn't working out. I couldn't do it. I can't work. I can't get in at 9 a.m anymore. It it was too much. I decided I'm gonna work for myself and That was interesting. I just kind of just went right into it and started just starting Schizophrenic NYC, my mental health clothing line, just made some shirts and went to a pop-up shop at the Long Island City Flea and was like, hey, buy my shirts. How long ago did you start
2: Schizophrenic.NYC?
3: This is my fourth year. Started in May 2015.
1: When you first decided to do this did your family and friends, like, were they supportive or they were like, oh, Michelle, no.
3: Oh, oh, my goodness. It's actually, like, my my mother contacted my doctor and was like, what is she doing? Like, what is she? She spent a lot of money on these t-shirts. What is she doing? And even my doctor was like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to tell everyone you have schizophrenia? Do you really want to do this? Is this something you really want to do? And I was like, yeah, I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I really want to do it. And everyone around me was like, are are, you sure? And I was like, yes, I want to do this.
2: Just to clarify, the issue wasn't whether or not they felt you could start a business. The issue was whether or not you should boldly and loudly proclaim that you're a person living with schizophrenia. Yeah. So they had full faith in your ability to start and run a business, even with your mental disorder. They just questioned the type of business.
1: Yes. Yes. From this, you know, you've branched off. I have some of your artwork where you can buy some of Michelle's artwork and different things, but also the t-shirts, the different inspirations kind of that you put out. The don't be paranoid. You look great. I love that. Where do you see the future of Schizophrenic NYC going?
3: oh my goodness, the future of Schizophrenic NYC, who knows, we'll see, we'll see where it's happening, I've been working with a lot of advocacy, everything that's going on right now with the the gun violence and blaming the mentally ill, I had a protest in Union Square in New York City, and we're just trying to just keep going, keep fighting the man, and keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, I have a new shirt that we came up with that says, I'm mentally ill and I don't kill, and... We've gotten a ton of pre-orders on it and can't wait till they're ready for everyone to wear and everyone to just wear a big sign that says that on their shirt to start more conversations and to just start a whole movement of, please stop blaming us, please. I
2: I love how you frame that. And it's also important to point out that you've really evolved past your stated goal of just being a graphic designer and selling shirts. You've branded yourself as a personality. Yes, You're your own public relations firm, and you really do a lot of work in a very high level.
1: Your advice to other people in our situation with a mental health disorder, because I think you have the fear of one starting a business, but then the fear of what do I do if I can't handle it? Sometimes I have like little mental attacks where I'm like, oh my god, I don't know if I can handle this. What is your biggest advice to people like us?
3: Just go for it. Just try it. You can't do anything and you don't know if it's going to work or if it's not going to work if you don't try. Just just try. I get messages all the time on my Instagram like, how can I start a business like you? How can I start something like this? And my answer always is hustle, hustle, hustle. Just hustle. I used to have a pop-up shop where I would start it at 10 a.m. and then I would leave at 10 p.m. 12 hours. Just hustle. Talk to as many people as I could talk to just sell for as long as I can. I was out there forever just trying my hardest, meeting as many people, talking to as many people. And I have great stories. I I would meet people... And I would tell them that I had schizophrenia, and everyone that I would meet, they would either say they had a mental illness, a friend of theirs does, a family member of theirs does, or they work in the mental health field. So it would always baffle me why there was so much stigma around mental illness, especially in New York City where one in five individuals has a mental illness, but nobody talks about it because of all the stigma. So really just trying to, you know, change the conversation. Just change the conversation. Is it fair to say
2: that running a business is the same for somebody with schizophrenia as somebody without schizophrenia? There's no magical difference in rules. I mean, business is business.
3: Business is business, but people are going to judge you differently if you're running a business with schizophrenia or not. They're going to say it's 10 times harder for you.
2: Is it 10 times harder for you?
3: Well, I wouldn't know because I've never run a business not being schizophrenic.
2: (laughs) Excellent point. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah.
1: Michelle, do you have anything you want to promote specifically coming up? Um, I don't have anything specifically coming up, but you can totally
3: buy my stuff at Schizophrenic.NYC and love everything. T-shirts, pillboxes, artwork, leggings, and, you know, I got tons of anything you desire.
2: Michelle designed the book cover for Mental Illness as an Asshole as well. I mean, you do a lot of design work outside of your own yes. advocacy work and your own brand as well. I mean, you're you're quite prolific. Do you have a website for your graphic design work?
3: Yes, it's hammertimedesign.com.
2: I highly recommend.
3: Yes.
1: That was great. I always love getting to talk to Michelle.
2: And it's interesting how like, you both worked really, really hard to get to where you were. You both understood that you needed accommodations and coping mechanisms. And you both, as we heard before the interview and then in Michelle's interview, you both had a lot of jobs that you just had to quit or in Michelle's case, get fired from before you realized what you could do versus what you couldn't do. And then finally, you're both so successful because you didn't dwell on what you couldn't do. You figured out what you could do and excelled at it.
1: And I love in Michelle's interview where she actually says that the main secret to her doing this is hustling. You know, is, is if this is what you want to do, fight for it. And that's not, you know, great advice for someone with a mental health disorder. It's great advice for anyone who wants to do something. Starting any sort of business is insanely hard. And to keep it alive for multiple years is amazing for anybody
2: it is. And do truth be told, if we're really being honest, holding down a 9 to 5 job Monday through Friday or whatever job you choose, whatever your hours are, we tend to think of this as something that's just so incredibly simple. But it, but it's not. Having a job takes skill. It takes preparation. It takes professionalism. It takes it just takes a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We 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 tend to paint them all in the same brush, but Not every job is the same, not every job pays the same, and not every job needs the same skill set. So to just just throw out the statement, oh, anybody can get a job, well, a job doing what?
1: And then, of course, the opportunities, just like the city versus the country thing. There may be a lot less opportunities, especially if you're having issues traveling and you live out in the country, you have a lot less jobs that you could even apply for. One of my biggest things is I've had some horrible jobs, but I loved the people I worked with. And it was like a joy to go to work because of the people. And same things, I've had some jobs that some people might consider, oh, God, you must have loved doing that. And I'm like, no, because I hated my boss. (laughs) I hated who I had to work. Like, they made it intolerable. And there's so many factors that do go into it that I think whenever you have a mental disorder, you're dealing with that plus medication, uh, side effects constantly changing, plus your symptoms constantly changing, and then, of course, your own family life.
2: We've discussed on the show before that having a very supportive family is helpful in all areas. Is having a supportive family helpful to being employable, to working?
1: Yes, especially whenever you're talking about starting something new or going back to work after, you know, let's say some sort of breakdown, having to take like a break from it. You might have to lean on your family for a lot of different help. Financial help has been my biggest one where I became very sick and I had to quit jobs and I had no money coming in for a very long time. And if I hadn't had the support of my family, I, yeah, I would have been homeless. I would have been out of luck.
2: For me, I was very fortunate. I never needed financial help from my family. But what I did need is when I went to the psychiatric hospital, when I was off work to seek treatment, I'd be off work for four, six, eight, 12, 16 weeks at a time. And then one day after not having worked for that long, it would be time to go back to work. So here I am, you know, bipolar disorder and an anxiety disorder and just getting over whatever kept me off work for that long. Now it's that Monday morning and here I am wide-eyed and terrified to go to work. And every single time a family member or a friend drove me to work. They helped me wake up in the morning. They put me in the car. They drove me there. They walked with me into the lobby or, you know, depending on the job as, as close as they could get. And then they would pick me up from work. They would agree to have lunch with me. And sometimes this would go, you know, multiple friends and multiple families. Somebody dropped me off. Somebody would pick me up. But that was so incredibly helpful because I knew that support was so close and I didn't need them for anything, but I didn't care. That made a world of difference in me returning to work. How do you feel about that? Like, how can family members be more supportive in the helping us get over our fear?
1: Just talking. And I don't mean, you know, pushing so much someone to get a job, but just talking, you know. Uh, my parents are great about asking me, hey, what did you do? Or you have any stories? What's been going on? Do you have any interesting people you've met? Are you interesting projects? What are you up to? And just kind of like getting me to... Talk about work, I've noticed just kind of helps me become more confident, even if I'm not so confident while I'm there. Uh, my parents are like my biggest cheerleaders with that kind of stuff. You know, whenever you have a breakdown. Everything kind of is scary afterwards. It can be scary to just like go out to eat. You're overthinking everything. And if you have anxiety or if you are having hallucinations or delusions, worried about other people are looking at you, you're doing things weird, especially if you've been on some certain medications, you might have developed tardive dyskinesia with the shaking. Mine is shaking a lot and having to start a new job can sometimes be embarrassing because I look like I'm terrified. (laughs) And I'm not I'm just like shaking out of control. I'm dropping things, and I obviously feel like I have to address it right away. And all of that can really just be a lot for anyone. You know, whatever job you're thinking about doing, you know, just trying to show up and fill out applications can be very intimidating. In the past, I know my mom has went to me on a couple different ones just to to help me check out the places, say, hey, you know, yeah, I could do this. And she'd be like, all right, you know, that new place, you could walk to that job. I'm like, yeah, I could. And that, that's nice, you know, when you do have kind of that gentle push.
2: <laughs> but that gentle push is, is, it's very valuable because on one hand, it's saying, hey, you should do this because it will benefit you. But on the other hand, it's also saying, I believe that you can do it.
1: And now a word from our sponsor. It can sometimes feel like another schizophrenia episode is just around the corner. In fact, a study found that patients had an average of nine episodes in less than six years. However, there's a treatment plan option that can help delay another episode, a once-monthly injection for adults with schizophrenia. If delaying another episode sounds like it could make a difference for you or your loved one, learn more about treating schizophrenia with once-monthly injections at oncemonthlydifference.com that's once monthly And we're back talking about working with schizophrenia.
2: How do you feel about volunteerism as a path to employment?
1: I think that you know a lot of people get nervous when it goes when it comes to going back to work and maybe you flat out can't or you're like Rachel I can't even do a part-time job. Volunteer work is great. Anything that gets you out and moving. I've pretty much always been involved in some sort of volunteer work. Um, right now it's super fun. I dress up as Spider-Man for the local children's homes. And I love children, so I don't want them. But I, I like their happiness. So I love like doing any kind of volunteer work with that, collecting books. And if you're out there and like you love animals... Oh my goodness, all of the shelters, I know the ones by me have these programs where you can volunteer to come and walk the dogs. It makes you feel so good to actually be helping out. Yeah. And then of course, if you have something you want to work towards, consider internships and apprenticeships. You know, sometimes you can flat out ask people, hey, can I shadow you on the job? And that's a really great way to kind of put your foot back in the working pool. And to kind of just, even though you're not getting paid for it, kind of get to contribute and do some cool things. Some of my like really neat jobs I've done have all been like interning or shadowing different entertainment people where I straight up just emailed or called them, got their contact info and was like, hey, I saw you were shooting a movie. I was wondering, could I come out and shadow you for a few days? And you'd be surprised how many people actually respond back like, oh yeah, sure. Come on down.
2: It's 2019 now. Mm -hmm. And obviously we've discussed the benefits of volunteering, but you know sometimes it's just, it's nice to make a buck. And hey- The internet provides.
1: Yes. One of the most amazing things to me is how easy it is to get like your own job where you're like your own boss through these apps. I have a friend who actually does really well, but pet sitting, that's all she does.
2: And she uses an app to do it. Yeah. And of course, we're all familiar with ride shares, Mm -hmm. probably the most popular hustle side hustle. Mm -hmm.
1: And I love the, the new ones where you're paid to go pick up someone's food and take it to them. One of my friends who has severe autism, if you were to meet him, you'd be like, okay, yeah, something's off, but he can totally drive fine. And he does that for a few hours every day, you know, when he's feeling good enough to do it. And his parents pretty much kind of keep tabs to make sure he's okay, but that, that's his job. And it's something he can do completely on his own. And if he has to take a day off because of issues okay, he just doesn't do it. He doesn't log on. And that's just so cool that we have this ability to to kind of pick up all these like little baby jobs.
2: Now let's talk about accommodations because accommodations work in in all kinds of ways. There's, There's reasonable accommodations. There's unreasonable accommodations. There's legally required accommodations. And all of this starts with you self-advocating, because your employer is not going to walk up to you and say, hey, I think you might need XYZ accommodation.
1: You don't sometimes know what you can and can't ask for. I was in college and... There's like a whole part of the college devoted to that. And I'd never known that until I was in like my third year of college and having major issues with brain damage. And I was like, oh, I can come here and you can help me. (laughs) Um, And that's when I learned about it. Oh, wait, I can do the same thing on jobs. Um, And from there, I've been able to either work with my boss or HR on certain things. One of my um, biggest is that I can't deal with money. Anything with numbers, I get very confused let's say you give me 20 pennies and tell me to count them, I might come up with a different number each time. I can't explain why. (laughs) If I'm just doing even just basic, simple math, I start getting confused. So I've had to be very open. Now, keep in mind, I'm not applying for jobs at banks. Right,
2: because you're aware of this.
1: Right. Yeah. So I'm not being ridiculous when I'm like, you know, oh, I got this job at the bank. By the way, I can't do anything here. I'm just going to sit here.
2: Because that would be an unreasonable accommodation. Right.
1: Yeah. They'd be like, why did you even waste our time? (laughs) I am very open about it. So that when I do apply for a job, if I find out there's going to be a situation, like I know right up in the interview, I usually will say something. And then let's say after I get hired, they change it. And that usually is what happens is as you work for some place for multiple years, they'll change your position. So suddenly they had me at the cash register. And I had to go and be like, I'm really sorry if you remembered when I was hired three years ago. (laughs) Um, And they were like, oh, wow, Rachel, we totally forgot. And, you know, yeah, you can't expect employers to always remember little things about you. So I brought it up and they immediately just kind of adjusted the schedule so that I never worked the cash register alone. I always had someone there.
2: Rachel, it sounds like a lot of your your jobs and a lot of your career have been for smaller businesses, you know, 25 employees or less. If you work for a large company, what should you do?
1: All large companies should have an HR, human resources, go to them and talk. And it's really good. And you're going to feel more confident even in just talking if you have like doctor's note or something like that kind of to back up what you're saying. If you, you don't ever want to just go to talk to HR or a boss or whoever you might have to and just be like oh by the way i have this 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 and this you usually don't have to even disclose your diagnosis, but it's good if you have some in this. head. This person has trouble with certain things. One of my doctors actually wrote down um, options. Uh, Rachel struggles with, uh, at the time I was having really bad memory issues, and a, he'd written down three different accommodations that maybe they could look into working with me over. So I actually had like these suggestions there, and I sat down, I talked with the boss kind of thing, and okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to try this for two weeks, and they were like, let's see how this goes especially when you are working for smaller businesses. You know, there there's different things that can happen. Um, I wish I could say all of the jobs I've worked, they were incredible and worked with me. And, oh, Rachel, that's fine. And we're a very open workplace. Uh, but that hasn't happened. I've definitely had some bad run-ins uh, with jobs and whatnot. And sometimes you are. All you can do, though, is speak up for yourself. You do have to advocate for yourself. Don't just keep getting miserable Speak up, document everything. Emails, if they said, okay, hey, we'll do this, write it down. Even say, hey, can I get that in writing? And just keep it for your own kind of personal info. I still have the doctor's recommendations from back when I was in college years and years ago. And while it's not the best thing, you know, if you're in a bad situation and it's hurting you mentally, quit. It's going to get harder. It's one thing Michelle talked about. She had to step away from working at those big firms. I've had to step away even on small part-time jobs because it was just a really bad atmosphere for me mentally. It's one reason I like working part-time jobs and pushing it to other people with mental disorders because if you're working at the snow cone stand for 15 hours a week, quitting is not going to ruin your career. Like, yeah, I've blown through a lot of part-time jobs. It's not like I have to list them all in an application. Like, well, I worked three months here at the snow cone. I worked at the baseball stadium on and off for... (laughs) Like, if you are just trying to get your foot back in the water, like... And you're like, hey, this is not a good situation for me. Find another one. You might absolutely love working at the sub shack, okay? Because you (laughs) might get to be like, oh, hey, I got free subs. And I'm having a good time. I like my employees. And this is an easy job. And, you know... Not everything has to be prestigious. You can just do things that make you feel good about yourself, and that's not bad.
2: And that's also the path to getting to something that is, I'm going to say, more prestigious. Nobody starts at the top, right? You start at the level that you can start, and you make incremental change, and you keep building up. When somebody is interviewing for a job, and I don't care if it's at a large firm or if it's at a smaller place, do you tell them in the interview that you're a person living with schizophrenia or that you have a mental health condition?
1: I personally do not mention anything until after I get the job, unless during the interview, they flat out say something that I know is going to be an issue. So if they flat out say, oh, and you're going to have to be counting a lot of money, can you do that? I'm not going to flat out lie and be like, yeah. And then like the next day after I get the job, oh, just kidding. I lied yesterday. So I am, I've always been incredibly open about that. If there is any like, thing that just flat out I know I'm going to have a problem with.
2: And to be clear, you're not required to do so. Disclosing a health condition is not something, whether it's mental health, whether it's mental illness, whether it's physical disability, whether it's anything, they're not allowed to ask you about that and you are not required to tell an employer. Correct. So you can choose to. That is absolutely your decision. But I don't want anybody listening to this to think, Oh, well, you're keeping it from them. That's not okay. No, it's it's absolutely okay. But obviously, you can't get an accommodation unless you tell your boss or human resources.
1: You know, Gabe, and if you work at a larger corporation or company, you don't even have to tell like your boss or supervisor, you go straight to HR, and they deal with that. You also, like, don't have to tell people exactly what you have. Like, well, I have schizophrenia or I have schizoid personality. Like, I many times will just kind of keep it vague as I have a brain disorder. And people are usually like, oh, okay. Uh, Very few people follow up asking questions about that. My doctor's notes, they usually don't say anything specifically like, oh, she has schizophrenia. It'll say she has usually some sort of mental disorder. It'll be worded that way, but nothing specific. That's another thing, too, is you, you can be vague with people. Um, if your coworker flat out asks you something, you don't have to tell them.
2: Especially a coworker. Yeah you, yeah. you don't have to tell your coworker anything. I can understand people thinking that they might have to tell a supervisor that that's your boss, but yeah, you're not required to disclose anything to a coworker, and you're not required to disclose health conditions to a supervisor. And the only way that you would need to disclose health conditions to human resources is if you're asking for that accommodation. Otherwise, it's your business.
1: Yeah. And I will say this, I know that times when I've had to take off and then come back, yeah, sometimes coworkers can just flat out ask you things they shouldn't. <laughs> like people can be <laughs> kind of rude. And usually I'll just say, Oh, wow, yeah, I've been sick. And they am like, oh, Okay, like, I just say sick. I do Well, I had a mental breakdown and I was wanting to kill myself and I was sincerely depressed. Like, I just said, oh, I was really, really sick. And people are like, oh, OK. And they kind of step back like, oh, God, are you are you better? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, oh, OK. I I do. I've gotten to the point sometimes where I'll like practice what I'm going to say if I'm asked. If someone brings up, hey, you know, I heard you left work the other day and you were talking to yourself. What went on? Like, you know, I just had this really bad headache and it was just so hard to think clearly. And people always like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I've had some bad migraines too. you're like, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It is amazing how quickly people want to tell their story on top of yours. It's important for people like us to know that people aren't actually all that concerned with us for the most part. We think that everybody's like, oh, Rachel left work and they're all having like meetings about it. In actuality, they just kind of noticed it. And as a point of curiosity, they brought it up to you. Rachel, you had the good fortune to interview Cheryl Wallace. Can you tell us about that?
1: A few years back, I got to meet Cheryl Wallace. She reached out to me, and she is the VP of Programs at Rose Hill Center, a uh, mental health facility. They do mental health rehab and also have these work programs pretty much helping you come back from big breakdowns. I got to go there for a few days. I toured the facilities. They're amazing. And I got to learn all about their programs and different things. So I was so excited that she had time for us for this interview. Hello, Cheryl. Uh, So tell us a little bit about what Rose Hill is.
4: Well, Rose Hill is a residential program for adults who have a mental illness. We are on a About 400 acres and we are located in Holly, Michigan. We're a voluntary program and we are not a locked unit. So people are um, living on our campus, but they have the pleasure of being able to come and go as they wish.
1: And how is Rose Hill different than, let's say, a standard mental health hospital?
4: Rose Hill Center is a residential program and we have folks who come and live here for six to eight months. It's long term. It's not a place where you go and take care of an acute illness that's going on in the moment, but it is basically an opportunity to change your pathway, to manage your symptoms, to be in recovery, and learn how to live a fulfilling life. We have individuals from all over the country that come. So we have a work component on our campus, and then we help people move out to volunteer, go to school, or work in the community while they're living here at Rose Hill.
1: And can you tell us more about the work programs that
4: you all do? Um, We have a structured work program, so probably five to six hours a day people can choose to be in one of our work crews. When people first come to Rose Hill, they make a choice on what area they might like to work in. We have a kitchen management crew, which basically makes breakfast, lunch, and dinner for all of the residents. They work with a chef, and they work in a kitchen that is... Um, like a restaurant quality kitchen. The second team we have is our horticulture team and we have four big greenhouses on our campus. We have a butterfly house. They also take care of the grounds and um, it's very rewarding to get your hands in the dirt and make something beautiful bloom. So it's a very um, popular crew. We also have a farm crew and our, uh, we have a fully functioning farm. Uh, and then the last area that people can work in is our housekeeping crew, which helps keep all the infections down, cleans the common areas of the different buildings that we have. Um, and we also have about 10 people working on that crew. We have a lot of buildings here. so When you
1: have clients, do you ever have issues with someone being scared or hesitant about
4: working again? All the time. One of the reasons why you get so much benefit from this type of a program where you get to feel comfortable going back into the workforce um, with a lot of support, a lot of safety nets around. People come to Rose Hill a lot of times it's after an acute episode in their illness. And so they're very afraid of not being able to do something that they used to do or not feeling confident. There's a lot of fear that goes on, especially with people who have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. They may have paranoid thoughts or some negative symptoms of not being able to motivate. And so here at Rose Hill, we we take all of that into account. We help people to manage their symptoms and their medications, and we slowly work them back into the workforce with lots of of hand-holding and support, and then generally increase their responsibility as they feel comfortable to do so. It's really a challenge sometimes to think, well, I'm just going to get up and go take care of this like nine to five kind of job. And we recognize that people have a lot of symptoms that they need to get under control or at least feel comfortable with before they add on more stressors of a job. We start there. We start on our cruise so that people feel confident. They have increased responsibility I mean, it's fun. They really enjoy working with the different uh, members of their team and with the animals or in the kitchen or, you know, whatever area they're in. And then um, as they become more confident and feel like they want to go out in the community, we encourage people to work with our vocational coordinator to either volunteer or go back to school. And then once they're doing that, we try to get them up to about 20 hours a week. And then once they're confident in that, we'll also assist them with getting a community job if they um, feel that that's what they'd like to do. Awesome.
1: Have you found that there's any general type of work that people respond to with schizophrenia or any other mental disorders as far as getting back into the workforce?
4: I think a lot of times we find with people who have a diagnosis of schizophrenia that, that starting out with a physical job usually works better for them to get back in the pace. Um, If you are trying to manage maybe some of your um, delusions or voices or something of that nature, sitting at a sedimentary job kind of allows for a lot more time of concentration. Sometimes people who have a diagnosis of schizophrenia get ill when they're younger, you know, in their 20s or in college, and so they've never really had the opportunities to hold a full time job. So for those folks, it's also learning what that means. They're perhaps have been stunted at that age or um, having to really deal with those challenges for a while. And so learning what it means to hold a job, work with other people, take direction. Um, all of that is something that we do here at Roselle as well.
1: And how have you seen people change as they go throughout
4: the program? <sighs> yeah, this program, it's amazing. I mean, simply amazing. We have success story after success story. When somebody really dedicates themselves to wanting to be able to manage their symptoms, live a life worth living, all of those pieces, then we can give them the support and, and they get the challenge of, okay, these symptoms are happening, and how would I manage that without going back to the hospital or without stopping my medications or whatever? And they, they, they learn that they can be really successful in managing that and um, it into you confidence and comfort. And I mean, the, we have people that have been through our program that came here that were really unable to participate or engage socially or were very, very frightened. Perhaps their medicines weren't working very well. And when they leave here, they're living on their own. They have uh, good relationships. We've had people that come through our program who are now ER nurses or accountants or I have one guy that's uh, running a Habitat for Humanity because he wanted to give back to the community. I mean, we have people that just work in the stores and that that's good for them or just continue to volunteer and you know help in their community. So it, it's amazing, stable, happy, good relationships, all the things that we all want in life. Very, very possible. It's, it takes hard work. It really does. But I think a lot, most people that come through our program leave very um, successfully.
1: Well, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for that information. And thank you for all the work that you guys are doing over at Rose Hill. And I just
4: want to thank you for letting me have the opportunity to talk with you.
1: I love how she brought up the different types of work programs they have. I feel that I would want to be with the animals. And if I wasn't able to work with the animals, I would do the cleaning crew. Because I love sometimes just like a good menial task where I can like just blast music. (laughs) and just being left in my own world. I feel like those would be the two I, I gravitated towards.
2: I wish that there were programs like this all over the country, right? I mean, I think that they provide a lot of experience, balance, value. I think that they get people out of their own heads, out of their own homes, out of their own situations, and position them to do better. I sincerely hope that if anybody listening to this has one of these in their area, absolutely take full advantage of it. And if you're ever in a position to advocate for a program like this, please do so because getting back to work has made all of the difference in my life. And you know, Rachel, you and I talk to you know hundreds of people in our job and they all describe that working gives them a sense of purpose and value. Not because they have mental illness, not because they have schizophrenia, not because they're living with a disorder, but because every single human on the planet immediately introduces themselves as this is my job.
1: Very true. I'm 34 years old and it definitely comes up, you know. I'll see someone from high school. I'll run into someone that, you know, is a family friend. Well, what's Rachel up to now? What are you doing? And sometimes, you know, I I feel bad that I don't have a better answer. Like, well, you know, I'm really successful working at such and such. Or, oh, well, I'm married with two kids. Like, I don't have that. It's, well, I work in entertainment and I live with my parents in the basement below. That's why I'm here as you guys stopped by. Um, You know, and I feel really bad. I hate having to tell people like, oh, where do you live? And I'm like... Why does it matter? Why are you asking? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I like, oh, um, but I put myself down. And I think people in general, we always put ourselves down. And we don't have to. You know, it's okay to be like, yeah, well, right now I'm just working a part-time job doing such and such. I'm focusing on myself. I'm focusing on bettering myself. But it
2: sounds like some of this is the judgment that you put on yourself. Like you said, they're not actually asking that. That's just what you heard.
1: Correct. Mm -hmm. And one thing I like that Cheryl said was, and I'd never thought about it until right in that interview, was that a lot of us, we didn't go the normal route. You know, we had breakdowns in our late teens, early 20s, which if we hadn't, um, you tend to graduate high school, go to college, start working full time. Um, That was kind of what my brother's route was, went straight to college, started working and then decided to do military. So working full time in the military. Whereas me, I had a really rough time after high school for a few years, had some major breakdowns, finally got terrified. I went from being straight A's on a full scholarship and then being terrified to actually start college, thinking I couldn't handle it. Even though I was on a full scholarship, I I didn't think I could handle it. Just being terrified to have to sit in a classroom and going back and doing that instead of four years, it took me over five because again, halfway through, had another major breakdown. and. Then I barely made it out just because it was so hard. And college, just finishing it was a weight off my shoulders, but I didn't have any energy then to enter the workforce. And I had another breakdown. And so when she said that, I was thinking, "Oh, she's right. I never learned how to work a nine to five job. Even my college, I would say, was not a normal in any way college experience because it was so scattered and broken up just trying to make it. And that made me feel a little bit better about myself when she said that because I, I felt less of a failure, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, hey, yeah, my brother did have it easier. <laughs> well, it's very
2: true. And, and to be fair, it's not just high school, college. It can be high school, trade school, high school, interning, high school, getting your first job, uh, high school, military. But the one thing that is certain is that when you're a worker in your early 20s, your late teens, early twenties, supervisors are willing to give you more benefits of the doubt. They're willing to give you more on the job training. They're willing to give you a little more latitude because they understand that when they were 20, they did boneheaded things and made mistakes. They're not willing to give that same leeway to a 30 year old because they think you should have learned it by now. But as Cheryl pointed out, and as you just said, When all of our peers were learning how to join the workforce at 20, we were trying to survive. We were trying to get a diagnosis. We were trying to get well. And yeah, that made me feel a lot better too, because yeah, we overcame a lot to be here and we deserve credit for that.
1: Yeah. Sometimes like we forget how awesome like we are, what it takes to come through things. Um, When I think back, you know, there were days that... I lost the ability pretty much. I remember standing there um, having to get ready for work and I couldn't remember how a zipper worked. And it, it was like 30 minutes and it was just like that piece of the puzzle was missing. And I'm just trying to like figure out how a zipper worked. I'd already graduated college. I was summa cum laude, you know, and then I'm standing there a few weeks later, not knowing how to zip up my jacket. And yeah, like when you think like, wow, wow. Some of us have really come through a lot where you had to relearn how to socialize with people. You had to relearn how to be able to wake up every day, take a shower, and eat breakfast. And if you're out there listening and you don't have a mental disorder, you know, maybe you're a caretaker. Sometimes it can be frustrating to be like, well, why won't this person just take care of themselves? Why won't they just get up and, you know, do this thing? You know, sometimes it's it's next to impossible. Like taking a shower once a week sometimes is a major feat. Because it's like a giant dark cloud is in your brain and everything's harder. And to look back and think how bad sometimes things were, and somehow I still managed to hold down a job that was even 20 hours a week. I'm like, how did I do that?
2: (laughs) But you did it we have to remember to give ourselves credit for that because we tend to focus on the things that we lost, the times that we lost, the opportunity that we lost, the fact that it's harder for us to get a job. We're we're super ready to focus on that. But the fact that we have survived in an area that other people didn't even have to compete. Yeah. We, we need to give ourselves credit for that too.
1: I want you to know right now that whatever you're doing, it's totally fine. Don't put yourself down. If you can only volunteer one day a week at the church, you know, in your neighborhood, then that's something. That's you getting out. Even if it's, well, Rachel, I didn't get out this week. All I did was I set up an account on an app to maybe start walking dogs. Hey, that's something. Any little step. You know, we're not all on the same race. And you can't look around and compare yourself to other people who they didn't have a mental breakdown. They didn't have to repeatedly start over. We like to compare ourselves like to someone else who's also our age that maybe graduated from high school at the same time as we did, you know, and be like, man, they got like a wife and kids and they have like this full-time job and this $300,000 house and I'm the opposite in every way possible. But you had to start over like five times, you know, and they didn't, they never had to. So you have to see like where you're at is sometimes so much more impressive than where someone else is because of what you had to do to get there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month, but please like, share, subscribe. If you have friends out there who you think would love to hear this podcast, need to hear this
0: podcast, please send it over to them. All right, thank you so much for listening. Inside Schizophrenia is presented by psychcentral.com, America's largest and longest operating independent mental health website. Your host, Rachel Starr-Withers, can be found online at RachelStarLive.com. Co-host Gabe Howard can be found online at gabehoward.com. For questions or to provide feedback, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. The official website for Inside Schizophrenia is psychcentral.com is.